0: welcome to museums and a podcast by the international council of museums this is alexandra Uh, we're going to talk about everything museums today and we're here with kate from museums drip Uh, museums drip is a blog um, and is self-described Kate as the place to flex on all shenanigans going on on American art museums. So I guess my first question would be, what is going on in American art museums?
1: What an important question to start with. What is going on in American art museums? Do we know? <sighs> a lot is going on. So I started the blog in 2020 um, within the context of, um, you know, museums having been closed because of the pandemic and the way that it really opened a lot of people's eyes within the museum field to things that had been going on for a long time in terms of a real lack of equality and equity between different roles and positions in museums where, you know, you have certain functions just being paid really poorly you have directors kind of power hoarding and administration power hoarding um and the you know all these conversations about what is the function of the museum is it meant to be a place that's welcoming for everybody is it meant to be a place that's kind of like uh ivory tower and where we keep things that are guarded from the public um so a lot of those conversations really broke open at that time during 2020 um and Since then, over the last, you know, two, two and a half years, right? (laughs) Um, Since that all happened and since I started the blog, it's been really interesting to see those conversations bubble up to the surface instead of be kind of just furtive and behind closed doors. Um, So I like to think that in American art museums, there's a real breaking open, um, a lot of transparency going on. That's more than it has been in the past, but, you know change takes
0: time so and you've mentioned um the question of being welcoming and what we found in Museum Drip we found a very interesting article uh that was about five things that you look for in a welcoming art museum and um we found that it would be interesting to go through these five things and the first one that you mentioned was bringing awareness to the existence of the western canon
1: yes so The way that art museums are typically organized um, really follows this idea of what is the Western canon, which is a very, very small sliver of the history of art in the world. And there hasn't been, up until this point, very many institutions that have made it clear from the visitor perspective that the reason that the museum is organized in this way is just a set of decisions that we have decided to uphold, throughout the past, you know, 200 years or so, it doesn't actually mean that the art that's on display is necessarily the most important in general, it's just that it fits into the storyline, right? Um, So in a lot of museums now, You're starting to see things be juxtaposed, so something that's contemporary paired with something that's historic in such a way that's like, okay, so this is a convention, and then people can visually see that and realize like, oh, I see the reason why these things are next to each other, the reason why the galleries are in this order, rather than it all just being assumed, and I think that's really important.
0: Right, for the visitor experience to open a little bit their minds to different perspectives on what a museum can Mm -hmm. show. And um, this will lead me to the second one, uh, a very specific type of museum visitors that are often ignored. So the evidence of the awareness that children exist.
1: Yes, that is like... I just feel so irritated sometimes in museums to see that, you know, it's, this is one of those things that I was saying before, right? There's these conversations now that's like, who is it for? Like, you know, we can't do everything. We can't be everything to everyone. So who are we programming for? And at times, I understand like not every single aspect of the art museum is going to be geared towards children or even welcoming to children, that's fine. But one of the things that gets talked about so often is this frustration that the typical museum visitor, especially in American museums, is this kind of avatar of a retired person. And it's like, well, if you wanna have younger people come to museums, a lot of people between the ages of 25 and 50 have children that they have to be with. <laughs> So if you're not going to be welcoming to children, then you're not welcoming to families, you're not welcoming to this kind of like, you know, in between adult stage that you're looking for. Um, So just that little, like, it's about children too, but it's the bigger picture of being intergenerational, being welcoming to Gen X and millennials and Gen Z, all of the above. So being welcoming to children actually broadens out to all these different communities and demographics. But children too, I mean, they're people. And I feel like, there's such a sense that kids are going to, you know, damage something or they're going to make it feel like it's dumbed down. And as an educator, I know that how much harder it is to make things still make sense to children. Um, to take those steps and make something really accessible is, is harder, really. Um, so it's always just really pleasant to see like, wow, they made it. So that kids could be
0: here. Yeah, right. And I, I do remember a case, I cannot remember the museum, where um, they had the labels, they had a children version for the labels. Mm-hmm. And a lot of museum goers uh, found that the labels for the children were way better than the usual labels. Because it was, um, I also really don't like that expression of dumbed down. Uh, I find that it's so difficult to explaining simple terms uh, something as complex as it can be history and um, especially difficult history and mm-hmm. uh, again I don't remember in what museum that was but as you mentioned it's an exercise that helps everybody uh, and mm-hmm. that can make everybody feel included and you mentioned right before that you are a museum educator so um, this third thing that you mentioned here um, evidence of awareness of different learning styles. So as an educator, um, aside from telling me a little bit more about this aspect, can you also go into these different learning styles? Mm -hmm.
1: Yep, exactly. So um, no matter where you're an educator, whether that's in the classroom or in a museum or what have you, you have to be aware of different modalities that you can use for different people. So there's the different, you know, learning, the tactile, the auditory, hearing, visual, there are different ways that people learn better. I know for myself, um, I'm a really poor auditory learner. If I'm trying to, you know, it's like everybody says learn things through YouTube videos nowadays, right? I can't do videos because if I'm listening to something, I don't take it in at all. I have to read personally, but that I'm different than a lot of people nowadays. So many people do learn that way, watching videos, um, listening to podcasts, there's that's that's something that a lot of people have. So in the museum, um, to have some sort of mix where you can offer something to read, something to listen to, like an audio tour, an audio guide, just audio labels that's available, and something hands-on is so important. I know uh, my mother-in-law. Um, I remember the first time she visited the museum I work at. Now we had a few little stations where you could touch. And, you know, she's an adult, she's certainly not a child, and she just made a beeline for those because suddenly it all came together for her when she could actually get her hands on something. Um, So those different learning styles, and there are others too, but uh, when I think about kind of gallery design and and like the path that a visitor is going to take through the museum, I try to think, okay, where's something that they can touch something, where's something they can listen to versus just what they're looking at. Even beyond just those learning styles, you get sensory fatigue when you're only using one sense and in a large museum if you're doing it for a few hours and all you're doing is looking that whole time you're going to get fatigued so much faster than if you can use different senses while you're there so it's a richer experience but it's also um just makes it more fun because you're not
0: going to get tired (laughs) right and um Moving on to the fourth um, because we've been talking about different audiences and different learning styles and in in the fourth uh, thing that you look for in a welcoming museum you talk about the primary audience and an interpretation that is responsive to this primary audience of a museum. In this when I'm thinking about the museum's primary audience
1: every museum based on your location, based on your hours of operation, based on um, you know, the demographics that you've typically served historically, you're going to have a different primary audience. So a museum that is, say, you know, a small museum that's not in a big city and the operating hours are, say, Wednesday to, to Sunday, 10 to 4, that museum is probably going to primarily be serving field trips, school children, volunteers, booked tours. They're really not going to have that same kind of... Um, density of like a daily visitor that a museum in a large city, like a, you know London, New York, um, Los Angeles, Chicago, those museums, on the other hand, are going to have this high density of daily visitors who are not necessarily coming on a guided tour, a booked tour. So you're going to have in a, in a big city museum like that, or like where I am now is in a very touristy area, um, even though it's not necessarily a big city. So we also have a lot of daily visitors. So you're going to want to have more of those things that are going to let people guide their own visit, audio tour, special brochures that are going to point out what are the best things to see. Um, and then the other thing in that with that regard is just about inclusion in terms of um, who are the people that are in your area. Um, I know you know there's, there's museums that are in an area that are more racially diverse. And so it's going to be even you know that's obviously always important to cater to be inclusive and make sure everybody can see themselves in your museum but say i know there's um a museum that i visited in kind of the upper midwest of the u.s that has a higher concentration of an indigenous population so they actually use indigenous language on their labels as well as english and spanish so knowing your audience and tailoring things to that you know, again, you don't have to try to be everything to everyone. You should really be making the people who are there feel the most welcome.
0: It ties in a little bit with um, during the COVID crisis, we started talking a little bit, not only in the cultural sector, but outside about um, social economy and how all these associations and institutions, spaces in communities that serve the community and that have a social role, how they were more resilient because of the attachment that communities have um, to them. So I guess that in countries, for example, where um, uh, the financing of the cultural sector is a bit weak, uh, reinforcing links with these communities can can help in making the museum thrive in a way.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a cycle, right? Like the museum really can't survive without the community. And so you want the community to feel like they can't go on without that museum. Like you want it to be um, reciprocal, symbiotic,
0: for sure. And talking about maybe smaller uh, museums um, that might not have a lot of resources, might not have a lot of staff members, um, we, I understand that not everybody can do everything, right? And uh, I would be perhaps for some difficult to adapt um, a lot of their spaces, if especially if they're in historical houses, for example, where they cannot have a lot of uh, room to play with the displays. Mm-hmm. What would you say out of um out of this uh, five pieces of advice to make a museum welcoming? What would you say would be the the top number one uh, tip that you would give? a museum to be more welcoming? Yeah, that's a great
1: question. That's such an important question because that's exactly what I think a lot of museums are grappling with right now. It's like, okay, well, if I don't have resources, what's what's one thing that I can choose? And I think it would be that one of evidence that you realize that children exist because like we're saying then, so often those things that are designed for children end up being things that really engage adults. Um, and as well, then you know, say the person that's has a five year old, you know, they want to do something that's for themselves, they want to visu- visit a cultural institution, but then they're worried, like, well, if I go there, my child is gonna, you know, I'm gonna be worried that they're gonna break something the whole time. Um, so to create an, uh, an atmosphere where everybody can feel welcome, um, I think if there's only one thing you could do that and then it brings a little bit of like levity and play into a museum as well and even if we're talking about history and difficult histories it's still just a museum you know (laughs) it's okay for it to be fun (laughs) so I think that one I think that is the one that I would say would be the most important if you can pick one
0: and I guess that if you make it welcoming for for children you're also kind of uh working on the other um, on the other things right. that you recommend because if you make it um, adapted to children, you're kind of also catering to your primary audience in a way who We'll have children, especially between the ages of 25 and, um, and 40. And the last thing that you also recommended before I forget was awareness that most visitors are not museum and Alford insiders. Um, so I guess making it adapted to children will also include, um, as, as we said before, is not about dumping down. It's about explaining in a clear way um, what the museum is about. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about
1: streamlining. It's about um, picking out the thing that is going to make humans connect to what you're talking about. And um, the thing that I always talk about when it comes to writing labels and didactic text is just to like, you got to pick a lane, you know, <laughs> if people in this day and age, if people want to learn more, there are a lot of resources where they can learn more, you can look things up, we have, you know, everything. So the, the most important thing, right, is to think about, What is going to hook people, right? When you're doing that interpretation. Um, And that's going to be really important to appealing to a kind of non-museum person, which that's a phrase I hate too, like museum and non-museum person, non-traditional
0: audience. Because it can be it can be really you can feel very inadequate when you go to a museum and you feel that you don't understand the language that they are, that it's not really for you. And I guess for some people, um it doesn't make them want to go back. They see it as, for example, going once a year to to the opera and they tell themselves this is a special occasion and only I'm only doing it this one time is not I'm not really part of that world.
1: Yeah. And I relate to that so much. I feel like um like I did not grow up with um I actually did grow up with a museum in my town and I um got exposed through that. But for the most part my family members and you know, the other adults in my life weren't really, they just weren't museum people, really. So when I started to get really interested in it, I started looking for the ways that I could make them interested too. And then at the same time, I really relate to it because, right, I'm not, I'm not really that interested in watching like live dance performances, for example. Um, So I I never take it personally if people tell me like, well, I don't really like visiting art museums. It's like, it's okay. Like everybody doesn't have to like everything. But if you come with me, then I promise you will like it. We'll have fun.
0: <laughs> ah, that's wonderful. Okay, let's move on to some rapid fire questions that we have for you. So uh, can you give me an example of a museum doing good practices in this optic of welcoming museums?
1: Yeah, I um, I think that a lot of littler museums, especially in the U.S., um, are doing a good job in terms of being welcoming because they are more nimble and so they don't have quite as many layers of whether it's bureaucracy or you know really important board members or you know whatever it may be Um, there's there's a it's a lot easier to um, make those small changes if you're in a smaller museum. So a lot of time, and, you know, I don't visit that many small museums when I travel, I'm usually going to the big museums. So those are mostly people that I'm meeting at conferences or meeting online and talking about what they're doing. But um, a lot of the things actually in the five welcoming, uh, five things I look for in a welcoming museum um, actually came when I visited the Memorial Art Gallery in Rochester, New York, which is just like kind of a, I don't know. Yeah, it's not one that's really like on the map for a lot of things, but The galleries were very playful um, and they have a space where you first walk in. That's uh, a temporary mural that they change every few months. So it's very fresh. So,
0: you know, museums like that, I think, are doing a really good job. Great. And next one, uh, let's see if it's the same one. What is your favorite museum? Right. Yeah, not the same one.
1: (laughs) No. Um, I love the uh, National Museum of Women in the Arts in D.C., Washington, D.C., because I love art made by women. Um, and I also love visiting Mass Mocha um, in Massachusetts. Because um, it's, a, it's a whole experience. It's welcoming in some ways and not necessarily in others. But because they have, it's all in these old industrial buildings. So it's like a whole, it's very immersive to visit there. And I love that.
0: Okay. And one song to listen while you're in a museum.
1: You know this is a real basic answer, but right now it has to just be the Renaissance, Beyonce's new Renaissance album, because why would you not want to listen to Renaissance while you're looking at art, right?
0: Very (laughs) much, very much on uh, on the same theme, right? right? And can you tell me an exhibition that you're dying to see?
1: Oh, I was just seeing... um, my it's clear that i'm like in the northeast of the us because all my answers have to do with the northeast but um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) i never go to the museum of modern art in new york um, but they're having a a retrospective of merritt oppenheim
0: the surrealist artist and i am dying to go see that so hopefully i don't miss it right well i hope that you will you will go and that you will find it welcoming and um thank you so much um for talking to us it was very interesting and uh, thank you Kate. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Thanks and that is all for this episode of Museums and Chill. There will be a new episode every second Friday of every month. Thank you so much for tuning in and tune in for the next.